What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 76 of the 2QB Experience. I'm your host. My name is Greg Smith. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. You can find all my work over at 2QBs.com. And on the line with me, a special guest, first time on the show, it's Christopher Harris at Harris Football on Twitter of HarrisFootball.com. Chris, welcome to the show, man. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Always flattered to be asked, and this is going to be fun because it's a much-neglected topic. Oh, yeah. I mean, we were talking about, right before we started here, the fact that you do discuss or acknowledge that 2QB exists on your show, and that's a lot of the reason why I wanted to have you on. But, um, yeah, man, I, let's dive into that a little bit, actually. Sure. H- how well acquainted are you with the world of 2QB? Like, how many leagues do you play in? Uh, do you have a favorite 2QB or Superflex league? Yeah, I mean, everything's a Superflex, but, you know, it boils down to a 2QB league. It feels to me, maybe you can correct me, because you, you probably are more in the world than I, but... Um, you know, it feels to me like 2QB is, as a, as a moniker has sort of become nominal and now it really is super flex, especially in a deeper league. Like I'm in, I'm in, uh, this Wilson Lives league that has a couple experts and then some friends and, um, and I'm, I'm not the commissioner. I'm thrilled to say I'm not the commissioner, although That's I nice. did devise the, devise the league and I invited a couple celebrities, a couple movie people, whatever. Um, you know, I'm so LA now, as you know. Um, <laughs> And and it's 12 teams, and I think when you get to 12, and certainly if you get to 16, it needs to be super flex because there's not not enough quarterbacks to go around for bye weeks and such, as as you know. Um, so, so Wilson lives with my favorite super flex that I'm in right now. I'm in a couple of uh, sort of expert super flex leagues that nominally play out, but uh, you get in so many leagues and you kind of can't pay attention. Um, but you know, I you know it, it's it is sort of when you got a, a kind of a big populist podcast and and superflex is a smaller percentage of the lust listening and see it is that fine balance where i like superflex league probably better than any other kind of league because i want scarcity at, at the positions i want scarcity at all positions and there's enough scarcity in a in a standard uh, league for quarterbacks so uh i am an aficionado and i am a devotee very cool. Yeah, I'm super excited about that. And we're going to get into your Superflex kind of general strategy a little bit later. But the first thing I want to do is kind of catch up on the NFL draft. Um, I, I tried to record a podcast a couple weeks ago as like a draft reaction piece. And I stupidly did not test the recording before I uh, you know, went through an entire hour and 15 minute conversation with my guest. And it got lost to the Internet ether. So um, we're, we're going to move through some of this pretty quick because, you know, it's. Sure been long enough that you know most of these draft takes are kind of out there i know that you've done shows and reacting to the draft so i don't want to belabor any of this so um my, my first question for you is which of your initial reactions has changed the most since the nfl draft like which take did you have right away that maybe you you don't have today like how how did that happen or, or what sort of call might have changed in your mind in the past couple weeks the thing is, Greg, I'm never wrong, so it's really tough to answer that question. Uh, you know, honestly, it is tough to answer that question. I, I don't feel like I did any knee-jerk rookie stuff in the moment. In the, I actually did a first-round review the night of uh, on that Thursday night, Me and too. then and then did did a full week. You know, the next week did a full thing. Um, not sure I came up with anything that I that I want to take back. Like in terms of the quarterbacks, I found flaws in all of them but i have hopes for all of them i really don't expect any of them to be amazing right away for fantasy or or otherwise um and i and that's the way i felt going in and it's still the way i feel now um 
you know, Barkley is just the clear, obvious, like I think potentially generational player. That's a really bold statement by me. And then, you know, my second favorite running back in that draft was Sony Michelle, and I'm sort of sticking by that for the moment. And I know there are folks who love Darius Geis more. Um, I think I like Michelle more, and I'm not really talk, talking about landing spots. And then I never loved any of the receivers. You know, I feel like whether you wanted to say um, DJ Moore or or Calvin Ridley, I, I would have been okay with either. And I don't I don't think there's a huge obvious high impact receiver. You know, for for the first part of their rookie years, regardless. So um, maybe maybe I'm punting by I'm vamping I'm I'm punting by vamping or vamping by punting. Well, that's fine. I mean, I actually I, I can appreciate the fact that you don't have those knee jerk reactions in the first place. Um, something that kind of comes to mind for me is I remember my initial reaction to the Saquon Barkley pick, and, and this that was something that was kind of telegraphed for a little while. Him going to the Giants was that you know, you, look, this really solidifies Eli Manning's value to some extent. And maybe that's going to make me more likely to draft him just because I'm not so worried about some rookie breathing down his neck uh, like you would with someone like Joe Flacco uh, or one of the other you know incumbents that might be supplanted by a rookie this year. But I have softened on that a little bit. Like I, I just don't like Eli Manning, and that's really what it comes <laughs> down to. I don't want to draft him. And, and I talked about that on the show when I did it. I was like, look, I don't want to draft him. I still don't want to draft him, but... There will be instances, there will be drafts where he's going to be that last quarterback available who I'm comfortable, you know, slotting in as my QB3 for a Superflex League. So, I don't know, he's probably the one I've softened on the most just because instead of, like, acknowledging the fact that I'm going to have to draft him at some point, I'm more and more talking myself into this idea that I don't want to get into the position where I have to draft him. Does that make sense? Yeah, it just so happens that like two days ago I watched Eli Manning film for this almanac thing that I do, and uh, you know I'm not for the super veterans for some 37 year old doofus I'm probably not needing to watch too much film, but I kind of the thing I wanted to check up on Eli was arm strength, and I have to say I, I think it's going. I don't think it's going like Drew Brees is going, but Brees has other stuff going for him where I'm not as scared of Brees clearly, but Eli's arm strength I think is it's still above average. It's just not it's not. If I'm doing A through F, which is what I do for film grades in the Almanac, it's not in the A range anymore. It's more in the B range. And given that I never thought he had the greatest accuracy and given that I never thought he always made the best decisions and the best vision, like never a disaster in any of those things. But I think arm strength saved him in large regard. Uh, I'm sort of, you know, right now I have him 22 among quarterbacks. So I guess I'm not saying he's, you know, he's worthless or terrible or anything like that, but but. I, I can see the down. I can see the uh, the end of the road, right? And I, I'm with you. And I, I think that's been kind of it's slowly creeping up on him. But um, enough about Eli Manning. I, I don't want to talk about Eli anymore. Let's dive into <laughs> okay. the rookies. Uh, sure. Again, we're, we're trying to react to the draft, I guess. Well, I guess that that was a draft reaction. But let's keep going. Um, let's kind of rapid fire these because again, uh, these these picks have been really you know torn to shreds over the past couple weeks. But did the Browns make the right pick with Baker Mayfield at 101, or do you think maybe they should have taken someone else? I'm never. I, I didn't have enough of a distinction among them. I think they all have warts, but they're sort of different warts. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, it's one of those things where I kind of give. It's not. There's not an obvious answer, so I give the teams the benefit of the doubt. I don't. I don't look at any of them and say they made a big mistake. I'll, I'll be able to tell that in three years. And so, I think Mayfield 
quote unquote checks enough of the boxes <laughs> in terms of throwing accuracy and lateral mobility and overall sort of playmaking acumen that I'm willing to forgive the warts, which are, you know, never playing under center and not, you know, and being small and not necessarily being put in a position where he was under a ton of pressure right away and had to make quick reads and super accurate throws into tight windows. Like all the, all the sort of big 12 problems that we just come with being a quarterback in the big 12. Um, I, I'm not freaked out by the by the choice. I know there are some Brown fans who just assume it's the Browns, so it will go bad. But uh, I, I don't look at it and say, oh, clearly Sam Darnold, clearly Josh Rosen. Like, they all had problems, too. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. I mean, we just don't know enough about these guys. And you're right. The teams likely know a lot more than we do. And it, it is worth giving them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, looking at Mayfield's college production, I, I think it's – pretty safe to say that you can overlook things like size. Uh, but at the same time, or on the flip side of that coin, I don't think it's really fair to make immediate comparisons to Russell Wilson either. You know, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's not really fair to these young guys to put that sort of, you know, weight on their shoulders. And, and it will be interesting to, to see how these things play out. And it's going to be a fascinating clash just because there were so many QBs taken in the first round, especially up at the top. Um, which rookie quarterback do you think is going to see regular season action first? Do you think it's Mayfield in week one? Do you think it's somebody else? Uh, do you think we're going to have to wait to see all these guys? Uh, what's your expectation for when these guys are going to get on the field? I mean, if it's if I'm the Browns, the Jets, the, the you know, I, I was going to say the Ravens, but yeah, it's being sort of snarky. Um, oh, it's, not to me, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I mean, it's because Flacco's awful, but like, he's probably earned a you know, Super Bowl champion. He's probably not going to get benched. It's a humiliation to get benched week one, and that's sort of interpersonally, it's what I would do probably. Um, like, I, you know, the right thing to do is start Mayfield, start Darnold, start Rosen, start Allen. Like, those four should start week one, and I'm not going to believe any coach speak about how awesome the veterans look and how somebody's earned the right. It's it's flat out, you're not going to win at those organizations right now. It's flat out stupid not to play your kid right away and just let them get, take their lumps now and take make their mistakes, see what you have, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what, you know, to, to ask me which one will, like, I don't know, it's it's four months from now. I think Mayfield will start week one and, and you know, Hugh will look stupid because he's sworn up and down Tyrod Taylor's the week one starter. I think probably Sam Bradford starts week one in Arizona just because mm -hmm. we, he has to break something. Um, Darnold starts week one for the Jets, and Allen starts week one for Buffalo. So I'll say all three of those start week one. Yeah, I mean, and we're just talking about expectations here, right? Because as, as people who do fantasy rankings and stuff like that, we have to try to factor the, the outlooks of these guys in when we don't have enough information. And that's that's the only reason I'm asking the question. I hate to put you on the spot like that, but no problem. It, it is one of those things where, you know, if you're doing a rookie draft now and your team is set up to, to win in 2018, or at least you think so, then you might lean more towards a, a rookie quarterback who's going to see the field sooner. Like, And I agree with you that Mayfield's probably the safest bet, if only because of that first overall draft capital that the Browns sunk in to get him. Uh, but you're right. All these guys should be starting. Like The practice time is so limited. The preseason is so short that they need to start getting reps if they're ever going to become these you know, supposed quarterbacks of the future. Along those lines, which rookie QB do you think has the most long-term potential? Is there one guy that you definitely liked more like uh, you know, three years from now? Or are we still coming back to that idea of they all have warts, we don't know yet, we have to wait to see? That's kind of where I come down. The one I'm most excited about for fantasy is because he has the biggest upside would be Lamar Jackson. 
because he's a unearthly runner. You know, he could instantly be the best running quarterback in the league the moment he steps on the field, and that's just that's the one thing in fantasy that's disproportionately valuable to what it is in the NFL. And so there's a reason Michael Vick, you know, sometimes people thought he should be the number one overall player taken in fantasy, even in single quarterback leagues, because he could just break the game. You know, he just sort of that he was the human cheat code and Lamar Jackson could be that. Uh, he also could, you know, he probably easily has the lowest floor of all those guys, too. He also could be out of the league in three years. Uh, I tend to think not. So I guess if I'm going to answer, like, which one of those five first round quarterbacks in three years, do I think could be sort of breaking fantasy? To me, it's it's Lamar Jackson. Do you have a you know a preference, or does age factor into your evaluation of these guys very much? Because one of the knocks you know leading up to the draft on Baker Mayfield, and again, we don't need to acknowledge that this is something that should have been a knock, but you know some people talk about this was the fact that he was so much older uh, than some of the other prospects, Sam Darnold in particular. Like Darnold's very young. Uh, for a rookie coming into the league. Does that factor into your evaluation of these guys at all? Not really. And I've been called about on that. You know, people have said, well, don't you understand? And I guess, you know, on one hand, the objection is, what if I don't get as long a career out of the player? But I just find that to be somewhat specious. You know, it's we're talking about still kids in their early 20s. They, they, st- they stay the same age. I keep getting older, so they seem younger to me every year. Um, and... And, you know, whatever, they're going to play into their mid-30s, so I can't see that far into the future. And then the other concern I guess people have is just they were playing against much younger kids in college. They somehow had some obscene advantage physical development-wise that they won't have once they get the NFL. And I'm, again, like Baker Baker Mayfield didn't have much advantage over six foot six defensive ends who were trying to kill him in the big 12 right there's mm-hmm. he doesn't have a lot of athletic advantage um so so the answer is no i i just don't get too twisted about it um i know there are a lot of dynasty leaguers out there who just have they just have different dynasty philosophies than i have in general where they where it seems to me that that there are people who have podcasts and have me on as guests who just approach dynasty from the perspective of yeah winning this year would be nice but i'm really interested in winning in 2022 (laughs) and uh, you know bully on you if you can see that far in the future the nfl is the one league that completely reinvents itself every single season and will be through four reinventions by the time that year comes around um so i'm i'm figuring I, i you know my general approach in dynasty is i want to win right now and if everyone in my league is so f- focused four years ahead then good i this trophy smells good too yeah i mean and the trophy next year well they're still waiting three more years right yeah I, I i agree with you i think that generally football has so much turnover that even in dynasty you want to be trying to win every year because you never know what could happen you never know which running back's going to get hurt and some random handcuff from your bench or off the waiver wire that you've never heard of, like Chris Carson. Like, no one knew who Chris Carson was two years ago, or I shouldn't say no one because I'm sure someone did, but in terms of, like, him being readily available on waiver wires, even in Dynasty formats, like, that that was a thing. And he, he didn't end up panning out, but he potentially could have panned out. Those types of players sometimes do, and that can make or break a fantasy season. And I don't know, there's definitely something to the idea of different strategies, and, and I do like to say that, you can win with any approach if you, you know, if, if things break your way. And, and I don't necessarily want to poo-poo any particular strategy, but I agree with you. In terms of these guys, especially at the quarterback position when it comes to youth, it's not something I, I care too much about, if only because they do play for so long at that position anyway. Now, if it's something else where 
you know, the, the age and the development of a player, like at tight end or defensive end, like if he's just running over guys in a small conference because he's two years older and, and 20 pounds heavier, that's different, right? But I don't think that it translates in quite the same way with QBs. But let's, let's get back to kind of dynasty drafting in general. And I'm curious about your approach to rookie drafts with quarterbacks, especially, you know, we're talking two QB and Superflex. Right. Are you the type of player who is willing to pay up for the guy that you believe in, like whether it's Baker Mayfield or Lamar Jackson? Like maybe this year isn't a good example, but do you pay up for that guy, or would you rather, you know, trade back in a rookie draft and hope to find value with whichever quarterback fell to you? Because I mean, this year it sounds like you you think that their values are all relatively close. I do. Yeah, I think it depends on the year. I probably don't have a super specific definite approach no matter what i mean when was the last early first round quarterback where you went all right well he's i know he's worth it i I strongly suspect he's worth it i mean andrew luck yeah luck maybe like it's probably wasn't carson wentz he seems like he's gonna work out but i i don't think it was carson wentz and it certainly wasn't jared goff um maybe winston Mariota were kind of in that vein Okay. Yeah. I mean, if and that hasn't worked out. I right. Mean, no, I agree, I agree. But I mean, at the time, like maybe people were having that sort of maybe. impression of those Winston. players. Winston. I think Mariota people were scared of because of the Oregon, you know, mm-hmm. sort of the the spread and you know five wide and pedal down. Does that translate all that stuff? And and maybe it hasn't to this point. Um, that said, again, we're injecting scarcity into people who are used to playing standard leagues just don't experience. There's in a standard rookie draft dynasty type league, I just think there's never a reason to take a quarterback. You know, just let let in, let the other people take them and you'll you'll figure out quarterback at some point down the road, you know, with trades with whatever. There's just too many to go around. You don't need them. And obviously the issue in a dynasty league that's super flex is that all the quarterbacks and the quarterback prospects are going to be owned. There's not going to be anything on the waiver wire. So you have to plan ahead a little bit. That said, will they ever get as scarce as an RB1? I don't think so, and nor will they be as valuable as an RB1 relative to the other players at the position. And in years where there are more clear wide receiver one prospects, unlike this one, you're tempted to go, you know, I can live with the with the crap Corey Davis year or the crap John Ross year or the crap Mike Williams year with the idea that they still could develop into total needle movers, as it were, um, this year. You know, it's it's a good rookie running back class, but I think the quarterbacks probably deserve to be mixed in. I mean, if I'm picking in the middle of the first round, I think I would be thinking quarterbacks if the running backs I liked were gone. Yeah, I'm with you. I I would still rather wait. If, like if if all of them are on the board and I'm the I'm not an avid trader in fantasy, but if I could trade back, you know, a few spots and maybe pick up you know, some marginal player or you know an extra pick next year or something like that, I'd, I'd probably do that and just see which QBs fell. I mean, most of these guys do seem pretty close in projected value at the moment, so why force the choice? And fantasy value and NFL value are definitely not the same thing. So, like, if Lamar Jackson pans out as a full-time starter, he can be awesome in fantasy like you talked about, even if his his team is mediocre, whereas that's not always the case with the running back. And so I think there's some some value that you could mine there from time to time. But, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough to say, and it, and it is going to vary from year to year. Um, I, I said we were going to get through this this draft reaction stuff rapid fire. That's definitely not happening. So um, let's go <laughs> rapid fire on these these next questions. Let's talk about okay. the new rookies versus the incumbents. Tyrod Taylor, Baker Mayfield. Who do you think is going to have more value in redraft leagues this season? Baker Mayfield, because I don't think Tyrod Taylor plays for very much. 
Uh, Tyra Taylor, Tyra has the cheat code, right? So if he's the quarterback for 16 weeks, he's a potential top 15 quarterback just because he runs around. He's not a good thrower, but I, I think the Browns, someone in the Browns organization will say, Hugh, <laughs> come on, dude. <laughs> yep. And I'm, and, and we never know, like Baker Mayfield might have that cheat code too. Um, how about Josh McCown or Sam Darnold? I'm just going to say again, sanity-wise, playing time-wise, it's going to be Darnold because why would you play Josh McCown if you didn't have to? If you're ready to look you, – you've done the thing, the thing that got you the guy. So play the, play the guy. Uh, Bradford or Rosen? You said you thought Bradford would start week one, but how long is he going to hold that gig before something breaks? Right. Well, you, you, I'd say two weeks. Right. That's you, that's that's about the part for the course. No, no. I mean, two years ago he's fine, right? He was fine two years ago. Uh, so again, I'll go kid. I'll go Rosen. Okay. Uh, AJ McCarron or Josh Allen? Um. Yeah. I mean, the question is, do I think Josh Allen will actually have value? <laughs> that's the exactly. Problem. I mean, I, I wrote right next to this question. Ugh. Period. Allen, yeah. you know, it's like, I think he's going to start, but I don't necessarily know how good he's going to be. Yeah, I, I guess I'll say Allen. The thing is also, you know, if we're talking about like looking at the end of the season and adding up the total fantasy points they registered. That's not the same thing as value. That's, that's right. It's not exactly the same thing. So like your rank of them might not necessarily be the thing that, you know, say, I think Allen's got a better chance of doing something than AJ McCarron does, put it that way. More upside. I would draft, I would, I would draft Allen before I draft McCarron. Right. Fantasy is a week to week game. And even if Allen has the starting job for more weeks, but those weeks are terrible, maybe AJ McCarron ends up being the better value because maybe he only started three games, but those three games he averaged, you know, 14 fantasy points per game or something like that. And that's right. not terrible. That's not great, but it's not terribly that's usable, especially if you're, the type of player who waited so long at the position that you needed to draft an AJ McCarron, right? Right. Yep. Uh, Joe Flacco or Lamar Jackson? You kind of alluded to this earlier, but but what do you think about these two? I mean, I think Flacco. I think in the end, it's probably the you know, it's such a it's a weird fit in that they're really going to have to change the offense uh, to accommodate Lamar Jackson at some point. But he's also got a lot of mechanical stuff to work on, and so if anyone's going to get a redshirt year here, I think it's probably. Lamar Jackson, I would in a two quarterback league just trying to get something out of a out of bottom tier quarterback. I think I would be drafting Flacco. Yeah, I mean he has the least draft capital invested in him of all these guys we've talked about. The Ravens are probably the best of the teams that picked a mm -hmm. rookie quarterback in the first round. So as long as Baltimore is in the hunt in the AFC North, I think Flacco is probably going to keep his job. And I said this in the last episode, and it's it's super narrative leaning. Don't get me wrong, but. I think the Ravens want to end, they don't want to end up in like a bad PR situation like the Giants did when they benched their Super Bowl winner, Eli Manning. You, you kind of touched on that before. It's like, that that's just a bad look. Uh, you know, a guy who's been there long enough, won him a Super Bowl. I, I don't think they're going to want to move on from him unless, you know, something's gone horribly wrong with the team and, and they're just not winning games. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah, I think Flacco is legitimately the starter. He, I would believe that before I would believe Tyrod Taylor. Yeah. Um, and, and your point about having to change the strategy of the offense makes sense too, and that that's something that they could hold against Taylor or Jackson, excuse me. Or I mean, I I want to say you could paint it the other way and say because like knowing that they're going to have to change the offense at some point, kind of the same argument with all these other rookies. Why not do it now? And we know that Flacco's not that great, but it, it's it's I think it's too far fetched. Right. I, I mean, if I would love them to do it now. I just did Joe Flacco. I mentioned I just did Joe Flacco tape too, and the thing that stands out 
that's just the difference in Joe Flacco is he still has plenty of arm. He just does not stand in there against the Blitz anymore. He is a panic muffin. He goes all over the place. Like, uh, it is. If if you saw Flacco as a prospect coming out of college right now, you'd say he can't play in the NFL. He has got the yips, man. He is jumpy as hell when he gets pressure in his face. Let's talk general two-quarterback strategy. Um, in a redraft league, do you tend to pay up for the position, uh, or are you you know one of the late-round QBers like myself? I don't think I have a... I think I, you know, it depends on it depends on the lay of the land. Like depends on when they start going. I'm not going to take them number one. You know, I'm not going to. But can I see a scenario where I take Aaron Rodgers like you know, tenth overall? Tenth, yeah. yeah, sure, I can see that happening. Absolutely. Um, I I don't think I have a, a definitive like this is how I'm going to go into this draft, hell or high water. I'm going to be sure that I don't do this or that I definitely do this. It's going to be more, well, where do I have these guys valued, and then where do they fall? And in most super flex leagues, quarterbacks, the first quarterback doesn't go 10th. He usually goes fourth, you know, and then, and I know I'm out and then I know I'm waiting, but I, but I would say I'm not dogmatic. And if I'm in a league where people are, are waiting, I like to zag. So I'll take Rogers for sure. I think he belongs in the, in the sort of mid late first round conversation. So how, I know you probably haven't done like overall rankings and I, and I know that those are flawed in general, but you have to do them. I have to do them too. How does that sort of mentality translate into your rankings? Because as soon as, you know, pick one happens, your rankings, you have to adjust your rankings. Maybe not move things around on a spreadsheet, but in your head you have to say, okay, I need to, you know, after picks X, Y, and Z, I need to adjust in one way or another. And how does that inform your rankings process? Is that is that a too strange of a question? No, no, I totally get it. I mean, I do. I, fortunately, I'm not going to have to do those ranks well. I don't have to do them at all. I'm my own boss. Ha <laughs> ha. But, nice. <I>, <laughs> but uh, you know, for the purpose of the Almanac, by August 1st, I will have two QB – redraft two QB ranks. I will. And I will, I will have three – I imagine th- certainly two quarterbacks in the first round. And then I don't go to – you know, I'm probably not going to have too many – like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put four in the second round. I'm likely to spread them out a bit and say, hey, if you know people are so in love with Deshaun Watson, ha- take him, have him. He's not a first or second round pick to me. Like that's a quibble about the player. Um, or Jimmy Garoppolo, like okay, you can have him in the second or the third round. I'm probably not gonna take him there. So so I think my my tendency on the quarterback is gonna be more towards you. I, I'll pay for the elite guys. I'll pay for the guys I know what I'm getting. But actually. Are there three of those this year? Does Russell Wilson count as one of those just because of the running? I guess probably he does. You know, Breeze for me is four, and like, again, I mentioned the arm strength. I could see it going bad. I don't think it will. He'll probably be okay. He'll be a second-round pick for me. But I'm not the one who then sees them go or doesn't see them go and says, uh-oh, my hand is forced. Now I need to take uh, Garoppolo. Now I need to take Philip Rivers, like, in the third round. I'm, I'm probably just going to go ahead and zig where everybody else is zagging and take a running back or wide receiver that I really like and realize that the construction of my team is going to involve Matthew Stafford or worse, you know, it's going to involve some less than optimal quarterbacks, but I can probably jury rig that together and get 30 points out of the position in any given week to somebody else's maybe 40, but feel like I made it up other positions. Yeah. I think that's actually one of the, the biggest flaws in the overall two quarterback mentality when it comes to drafting the position is 
I, I agree with you. The elite guys are worth the early round draft capital. Rodgers, Brady, Breeze, and I think you can make an argument for Newton, and, and Wilson's up there too, of course. But the biggest trap to me is that next group of guys. And like you said, people feel like their hand is forced, and they talk themselves into Carson Wentz, Deshaun Watson, Ben Roethlisberger as elite guys. And they'll take them in the second or third round only in reaction to the quarterbacks that have been drafted earlier. And and that's the problem. Now, now at some point, after enough quarterbacks have been taken, if you've waited so long that you don't have any, your hand is going to be forced. But I think that people are a little too... They jump the gun too early in terms of when when that trigger goes off. They say, oh, I it's the second round. I don't have a quarterback yet. And four are off the board or five are off the board. The guys who are legitimately elite, then well, I need to get one because I, I want an elite quarterback too. I don't want to start Matthew Stafford when I'm sorry, Matthew Stafford's a good player. Matthew Stafford mm-hmm. is, a, is a viable fantasy quarterback. And if I can get him in the, in the fourth round or the fifth round or the sixth round and use those earlier round picks to get elite running backs, to get wide receivers, that's, I mean, I'm going to do that every time. That's just, that's just how my brain works. I, I don't know. And people are going to disagree with that, but again, different strategies for different folks. So you can, you can make it work any way you want, as long as you, you know, properly hit later round picks and don't you know screw up the early rounds too much right so i was in an industry draft uh last august in new york and i had i drew the first overall pick and i took Le'Veon bell and i didn't take david johnson of course that turned out to be pretty smart not not knowing it at the time and then i you know it's a 12 team league and i figured super flex it's going to come around to me i'll probably take a quarterback at 24 or 25 probably not both and Marcus Mariota was like the number nine overall pick. Oh no! They all they all just went bananas. They all went quarterback, 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 quarterback. By the time it got around to me, I don't even remember. But it was nothing worth taking. It was not. I was not going to have my hand forced into taking Carson Palmer, you know, <laughs> or Tyrod Taylor. Like, uh, like I wound up with really crummy quarterbacks in that league, and I wound up trading for a good one. It's not you're not done, right? Like I had I had better players, I had better running backs than everybody else. So when push came to shove, and I wound up having some good depth, I gotta admit I don't even remember who I traded for, but it was someone on the line of Stafford, of Stafford who had already been drafted in the second round. And uh, it's just you, your team is not baked in concrete as soon as you draft it. Like just take take a good team and you'll figure it out. Right, and there's going to be turnover in season too. Like Case Keenum came out of, came out of nowhere; he was undrafted last year. That that stuff's going to happen. I think. There were 50-something quarterbacks who started a game last year. There are only 32 teams. Like there are ways to cobble together the position, just like you would, uh, you know, a third wide receiver spot or a, a you know a, a backup running back after you've lost your your top two guys. Like that stuff happens at the quarterback position too. It's just people get crazy about it. I don't understand it. But um, moving on, does your approach to drafting the quarterback position? Does it impact the types of players that you prefer to draft at other positions? So, like, for example, does paying up for one of the elite QBs, let's say you draft Aaron Rodgers 10th overall, if you do that, are you more likely to want, say, you know, a PPR wide receiver like Julian Edelman or Jarvis Landry? Or would you steer more towards a big play threat like, you know, Sammy Watkins, Amari Cooper, Tyreek Hill, that type of player? Does your quarterback choice impact the types of players you want at other positions? I don't think so. I think it's overthinking it. I just want points. I, I get what you're saying. You know, do you want do you want points eight points every week or do you want like twenty points every third week? Um, honestly, like the boring answer is it makes me want Devonte Adams. 
you know, if I pay for the elite quarterback, I would love to him to have an elite wide receiver who I can pair with, which is what I would want to do in a standard league too, not a, not a two quarterback league. But I don't think having paid up for Rodgers makes me think Jarvis Landry or makes me think Sammy Watkins. I think it makes me think Devontae Adams or just makes me think I'm going to stick to my wide receiver board. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of generally fascinated by these types of how players score roster construction ideas because some quarterbacks are more volatile than others, right? But the position on the whole tends to be pretty stable week to week. So if I draft like a more Jekyll and Hyde type guy like Ben Roethlisberger or Cam Newton, I could maybe see the appeal of wanting to have more stable compilers at other positions. But with that said, I think that sort of approach definitely has a lot more applications within an individual position, not necessarily across different positions. Like Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily want all of the boomer bust type wide receivers, but I don't want all of the dink and dunk PPR guys like golden Tate either. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think you can apply that to quarterback and into QB as well. Like if I pay up for an elite guy like Drew Brees or Tom Brady, and then I get another stable guy like Matthew Stafford or maybe Matt Ryan as my QB too, I might be more willing to gamble my QB three spot on the upside of Lamar Jackson over another boring, predictable guy like Joe Flacco. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I mean, I guess I don't, you know, it's a super flex league. I'm not worrying about the third quarterback that much. I have to say I'll take a shot, but I'm not going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to do it late and I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry too much about um, the, the late guy is always an upside guy. Right. So if I went if I went wildly, you know, if I went Jameis Winston for QB2, let's say, and I thought, oh, you know, that he's got the upside, but he's got a lot of week to week downside, too. I don't think that would steer me away from taking Pat Mahomes at the end or Lamar Jackson at the end because, oh, I already have a high upside guy like, no, those late round guy late round draft picks are probably for upside anyway. And in a super flex in a bye week, if it's, if Lamar Jackson is not starting or if. Pat Mahomes has been too up and down for me to feel good. That's okay. I'll, I'm, I'm going to be playing a wide receiver anyway in that flex spot. That's fair enough. Um, let's talk in-season strategy a little bit. How early in the year are you willing to start playing matchups with streaming type two, QB2s? Or are, are you doing that you know, every week no matter what? Well, I just said I'm not that hung up on my, on my uh, QB3, so <laughs> I don't think I'm playing too many matchups. Um and, so, uh, and you're right, it's not it's not coming early. Go ahead, sorry. Let, let me back it up then. So in, in general, in a super flex league, you don't even necessarily want to have a third quarterback when you come out of the draft. You're okay just having two on your roster? I'm okay with either scenario. Again, it's gonna I'm not gonna go in dogmatically saying I have to get that third quarterback. It's gonna depend on whether I think if Lamar Jackson's going in the eighth round, I'm probably not gonna have a third quarterback. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. Yeah. But if if sort of there's sanity and it's and we're in the twelfth round and there's still a couple of starting quarterbacks there or you know a backup who I suspect might play or Tyrod Taylor because everybody decided Baker Mayfield's the guy, then I'll take the QB three. Um, but yeah, I don't feel obligated to absolutely. I must wind up with at least three quarterbacks in a super flex league because again, I think I can fix it if something goes wrong with one of the two. And or I get into a key spot late in the year and I hate the matchup. There's there's a new fab defense that none of us see coming and there's an amazingly bad matchup for my guy, my mid range, my I don't know, my Kirk Cousins, my Dak Prescott, somebody like that. And I hate the matchup. I'll make a trade then. And so I guess I'm I guess I'm not playing matchups very early, a because I also don't think we know what the good matchups are. I mean, that's the larger point. People are making people play matchups in September and we don't know about enough about these teams in September. But um yeah, I'm my typical way to play is 
tr- I'll try to get the best team I can and usually just sort of stick with them for a while. And when it goes bad, I don't feel like I messed myself up by not getting the bench that would have forecasted the place of weakness. Instead, I'll just trade from a position of strength and buffet that area of weakness. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I guess for me, I because I tend to be more of a late-round quarterback drafter, I shouldn't always say late-round. It's more like late pick because, again, in that situation you talked about earlier where Mariota went number nine, like I'm not necessarily getting my QBs in the late round because I, I have to adapt to the draft, but I'm picking them later than most other drafters. And if I do end up in a situation where I have kind of maybe one guy who's kind of clearly my QB1, but then maybe my QB2 and my QB3 are close in value – in theory, I think it's worth considering, you know, maybe trying to play the matchups with those guys right away in week one. I mean, we draft those backups because we know that, that we want to use them at some point in the season. So who's to say that they can't start immediately in week one? And I don't think, you know, with that in mind, we should shy away from the fact that fantasy is a week to week game. Like that's one of the things that DFS has kind of taught me in recent years is that, you know, any given week, any given quarterback can be viable. And, but I'm kind of with you in practice. I tend to blindly start my higher draft picks for the first couple of weeks simply because there isn't enough tangible in-season data to kind of push push me off my preseason evaluations. Like, I drafted quarterback my quarterback two because I thought he was better than the quarterback three, so I'm probably going to run him out there because who knows how good these defenses actually are, right? Yeah, uh, Kirk Cousins had a good year last year. In week one, he finished QB 20 in week Two, he finished QB 21. You know, it came back. Did he even finish in week three? I yeah, he, he had a good week three. So the, if we'd been freaking out over those week two, those first two weeks, we would have missed out in week three. He was the sixth, number six quarterback in standard fantasy leagues. Um, and then number 10 in week four. And it, and it was a pretty good season thereafter. And it's not like I'm the, you know, I'm not the biggest Kirk Cousins fan, but, uh, it's just not a, it's just, we don't know. We think we know. My my message to everybody listening to this, if you don't already listen to my show, is you don't know as much as you think you do about what the NFL is going to look like next year. It changes every year. Stop pretending that you know who the good defenses are. Probably you don't. Like, within reason, there are a couple that you can maybe predict, but, uh, like, you know, weren't the uh, Falcons and Raiders supposed to be amazing on offense last year? Weren't the Eagles and Rams supposed to be terrible? I know, Greg, you've heard me say that on my show like 10 times already, but like, you know, stop outthinking yourself. It's it's 100% what you just said. The reason you took that second quarterback over that third quarterback is you thought he was a better player. Yeah, so w- with that in mind, it, as you're trying to adapt in season, what like early season indicators do you look for to, to maybe help identify potentially good or potentially atrocious matchups for QBs or, or any position, I guess? Well, I'm watching the film. Right. And so it's not going to be stats. It's going to wind up being like what it looks like. And more often than not, honestly, it's what the quarterback looks like a lot more, a lot more than what the defense looks like, because as defenses get more essentially five or six defensive, I mean, five is the base and six is some teams base defensive backs. Mm -hmm. They're they're all starting to kind of look the same. You're not finding as much. Oh, that's a definitely a three-four team. That's is, oh, this is obviously a four-three defense with, with you know, that nickel is always on the slot guy. Like no, people are kind of all doing that, the jumble, st- sort of stand up, confuse the quarterback pre-snap and then see, you know, and then do something different once the snap comes. Um, not to say every single defense is the same, but I, I think it's hubris to say that we know 
that the defense that plays amazing and we I mean remember that Chiefs Patriots opener that Thursday night game and how the Patriots defense was trash mm-hmm. and it was trash for essentially a month it was really easy to score against remember Deshaun Watson going bananas against them and uh by the end of the season they were a pretty tough matchup and I I am never cease to be amazed the extent to which people are willing to take one piece of data one uh, situation one sort of iteration and decide they know for sure what the league is that year. Like I'm, I'm gonna stick to my guns. I'm gonna stick to my talent evaluation. Yeah, another good example from last year was the the show that Sam Bradford put up against the New Orleans Saints in Week One, right? <laughs> week and then, One. Yeah. And then you know, two weeks later or whatever, we were talking about how great the Saints defense was now that they had Marshawn Lattimore and or and you know all the other. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like how how reactionary some people can be to to one week or even one season of of information. And I don't know when I'm looking for that. What I'm looking for in those early season weeks are, are usually just injuries, right? Like I want to see if key defenders go That's down, a good point. like JJ yeah. Watt last season. Although that didn't happen for a few weeks, but that sort of stuff definitely matters. Um, I'm also looking for you know apparent changes and play calling tendencies. Like, you know, the change that we saw from Jeff Fisher to Sean McVay with the Rams last year. Now, you have to take that with a grain of salt, too, because, again, one week does not necessarily indicate. Right. Like, if somebody's calling a lot of pass plays against one particular team, that might be strictly matchup-based. That might not be some overarching philosophy philosophy for that offense, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, how many times can I say this, Greg? You've heard me say this a billion times, but like, I really do look like in fantasy football to poker. That's my best analogy for it, where you can be the best poker player in the world. You're not going to win every hand. You're not going to win every tournament because it's about half luck. It's just half like, did you get rivered? Did you get some stupid, you know, some dude who goes all in and, you know, bluffs you and you weren't expecting it and you, or you have a, somebody has a two outer against you and they get it. Like, it happens. And, and fantasy football is probably about half skill and about half luck. And I'm of the opinion that if you go into a season with the, with the on, on average, the most talented team, you got a decent chance, but you're probably also going to, you know, a lot of the time take the pipe and it's not fun and it, you know, it makes you frustrated. But I think overreacting to one piece of data, one thing that came out of a coach's mouth, one, like, you know, sometimes I can be accused, rightly so, of stubbornly sticking to my opinions for too long and not reacting fast enough in the course of a season. But I think you're probably better off, like, trusting your instincts for, for a month. You know, like, let's get into October before we think about doing anything rash. Yeah, definitely. Um, let's get into some other positions and, and some more player-specific stuff. And let's get back to a little bit of kind of draft analysis. Do you have uh, a rookie wide receiver from day two of the draft that you're excited about? Does one or two guys maybe stand out to you? Well, I mean, talent-wise, maybe so, but like fantasy-wise, it's hard to get two. Well, yeah, rookie rookie wide receivers are always risky in year one, but yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, I guess, more more talent, more long-term outlook for these guys, more more dynasty leaning, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, I, Christian Kirk, I, my my eye was on Christian Kirk, uh, all like all the way through the pre-draft process. I just sort of I watched the film and I. Again, it's it's not always easy to see, especially when they're slot receivers in college. Maybe that's truth in advertising because it seems like his future is is in the slot. Mm-hmm. Larry Fitzgerald's there right now because he's in Arizona, and that makes me think there's not a huge role for him yet. But he gets to learn from someone who's really good at it. Um, so you know, he's the one that stood out to me. I, I'm not saying that I'm positive he's a huge high impact guy because if he is a slot receiver. 
can he maybe someday be Doug Baldwin? You know, that would be awesome, but that maybe is the best he could be. You know, if, if he winds up being Golden Tate or Julian Edelman, he's a very useful fantasy commodity, but maybe not a fantasy superstar. Um, did I fall in love with, like, Anthony Miller? You know, I loved him in college. I loved him. He's just like a baller. I just, you know, sort of mid-major, not a really like, but he just sort of dragged that team by the nose and said, we're not going to lose. And I love that. He's not super, a super freak athletically. And he lands with Alan Robinson. I don't know that I get that excited about the landing spot, blah, blah, blah. Uh, maybe those two guys stand out to me as I was, I was excited about where they were going to land and then not all that thrilled with where they landed. Um, I get maybe one more comes to mind is James Washington. I really liked him in college, and it strikes me that maybe the Steelers have a type now because mm-hmm. Juju Smith-Schuster fits that same type. Like, really didn't seem like a master of anything in college, but has the big body, and, like, if you had two Heinz Wards on a team, that would be kind of cool. Like, it strikes me that could be what James Washington might be, but there's this guy named Antonio Brown there, so it's hard for me to <laughs> think he's going anywhere. Um, so anyway, yeah, maybe those names. Okay, yeah, I mean, and they were all drafted in the second round, kind of around each other to some extent. What do you think about Michael Gallup? I'm like, what did your film study say about him? Because I I don't think he's on par with those receivers from a talent standpoint, but he might have one of the better, you know, opportunities in year one than than any of those guys. You know what I mean? I do. So let let me say that I, I consider myself pretty good at the NFL game film stuff. I'm not that great at the college game film stuff. It's not what I do. I have a hard time looking at Colorado State game film and knowing who he's running against. And I mean, he looks like a star, right? But I don't know what he's like. It's the future gym teachers of America. You know, the whole, yeah. that whole thing, that whole discussion. So I got to say, I, I'm going to trust I wish I could remember who I had like four or five different draft experts on the show as we're going along. And we talked about each position leading up. And I remember specifically, this is pre Cowboys asking about Michael Gallup and having the experts say, just a guy, not a special dude, not someone I'd be all that excited about. And that stuck with me. Um, But you're right. Like who are the Cowboys going to sign? It's probably not Des Bryant. Like it seems like they need more receivers and I'm scared if it's Alan Hearns and Cole Beasley and, Terrence Williams. So it would be lovely if we get Michael Gallup playing. Um, doesn't doesn't strike me as an immediate impact guy. And and what? But but I could be wrong about that. I'm relying on someone who does it for a living, uh, saying that they thought he was sort of just just a guy. Oh, I'm I'm exactly the same way. I, I openly admit on this show all, all the time this time of year that uh, I don't really watch college football or have that much interest in it. To be honest, I I, I trust the opinions of people I trust. You know around football and around fantasy and and they kind of inform this stuff and i've seen enough people talk up Gallup that i'm i'm interested at the very least because like i said the 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 targets could be there for him how does that kind of lack of talent overall in the dallas receiving core impact dak prescott's value for you Are, are you dropping him down your rankings is he a guy who you're still interested in based on his rushing upside i just want to take your temperature on prescott I mean, I got, that was one of my worst calls last year. I remember going on Philadelphia radio and saying, now that Zeke Elliott's out, I'm not even sure who I'd rather have between Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott. I, you know, I loved Dak Prescott. I thought he was ready to be the, you know, the guy and carry that offense. And he was so incapable of carrying that offense. It was frightening. There was the weird game in Atlanta where they couldn't have, they didn't have a left tackle and they couldn't block. And I made excuses week by week. But I ran out of excuses. He just didn't play well without Zeke in there, and that's a little bit scary. Um, 
honestly, the la- here here's this is why I gave that little preamble. The lack of receiver depth gives me cover to be wimpy on the Dak Prescott rank. Right now, I have him 16. I have him one spot ahead of Alex Smith. If you want to have a sense of how far he's fallen, last year I had him t- I had Dak 10, and right now I have him 16. Um, and he finished 11 because, like you said, he ran he ran for another six touchdowns. I think in back to back years, so. He does feel like he's got a little bit of that cheat code, and yeah, rushing touchdowns are somewhat, uh, you know, they're they're hinky, they're gonna come and come, gonna go. But doesn't he seem like a 300, 400 rushing yard guy every year? And that's that really helps the fantasy production. So I guess my worst nightmare is they get really good wide receiver help, they find someone, <laughs> they try make a trade or something, and now I really have, you know, now I can just sort of take cover by saying, well, he doesn't really throw it to. Uh, but I can see him finishing higher. He's got a lot of variability. Yeah, I actually I have him ranked lower than you. I have him at QB twenty, and based upon the rushing upside, that might be a little bit too low. I, I just think that that middle class of quarterbacks is so deep and so flat. flat Generally, yeah. like after QB maybe eleven or twelve, all the way down to QB twenty four, twenty five, twenty six. I, I mean, it, it you can make arguments for a lot of these guys, and I, I think that's why when you look at the weapons around Prescott, it's it's a little easier for me to fade him, but maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way. Maybe I need to factor in, um, you know, what he can do with his legs a little bit more. You talked about the touchdowns that he scored on the ground, and I, I should go back and look at this, but I'm wondering how many of those came when Zeke was suspended, uh, if, if there was any sort of correlation there, because if we do get a full year of Ezekiel Elliott this year, then uh, that, that could be one of the things that kind of nerfs his rushing touchdown upside as well. Um, I'll be interested to see how that works out. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think all but one of Dak's uh, rushing touchdowns came with Zeke in the, in the, in the lineup. And that makes sense. I mean, if he's going to score on rushing plays around the goal line, it, it would make sense for those to come on play action and things like that. So, okay. That, mm-hmm. that, that gives me a little bit more optimism for for him. He might be moving up my ranks a little bit. Let's talk about the Raiders. How do you think Martavis Bryant is going to fare with them? And do you think we should expect some sort of bounce back from Derek Carr now that his receivers include Bryant, Amari Cooper, Jordy Nelson, and to a lesser extent, Jared Cook? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I had him seven last year. I have him 18 this year. I feel super, super bitten by Derek Carr. He just flat out played terribly. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he, well, he had the broken back. Right, he missed one game because of the broken back. So maybe, maybe that, maybe it's as simple as that. And I'm just overreacting to the bad year. Um, yeah, he, he pl- missed the one game, played 15 games, didn't even reach 3,500 yards, uh, through 13 interceptions. Like gross. I'm not even gonna freak out about the touchdown passes. Matt Ryan had a bad touchdown pass here. That that happens sometimes. You know, if you're if you're in a really good offense, it probably won't happen. But if you're sort of a middling offense. You can wind up with 30, you can wind up with 20, and it's just difficult to know where you're going to wind up. Um, and then Gruden, you know, Gruden being thrown in as well. Carr is a weird, weird dude, a weird case. Mm-hmm. I, so I think he's got all arm you want, and I think he his accuracy is okay. I just don't think he sees it all that well. I think he's when he maybe he's got more. This is kind of my opinion again, having watched film again on him recently for the Almanac. Um, I wouldn't have said this last year because I thought he was really good two years ago. But I think he maybe belongs after the, seeing him this past year. That Kirk Cousins, uh, Sam Bradford, sort of when you're on schedule and everything's going right and you can hit your first read or you can go through your progressions cleanly, he's pretty good. But when you get him off schedule, 
he can make just such a bad read, a bad decision, throw it to the guy he shouldn't throw it to way more last year than two years ago. And if we start to guess at reasons, then we start to it starts to fall apart. We don't know the reason. Maybe it just was as simple as his back hurt and he just never was right. But it scares me enough that I'm now a little off of that Raider offense a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm totally with you. I'm not really sold on Carr either, and it is kind of difficult to say how much of that performance was due to the the back injury. It has some crazy, like trans transverse process fracture or something right. along those lines. Right. But I, I, what I do know is that in 2016, when he finishes the QB 10, he had a pretty good offensive line. It, it was top ranked according to Football Outsiders' adjusted sack rate. And I, and I know you're looking to film, not necessarily the stats like that, but that that does matter to me. And their blocking unit was pretty disappointing last year, though. So, like, even with all these new receiving weapons, I feel like the line is going to need to rebound if Carr's going to sniff the top ten again. And that kind of lines up with what you were talking about in terms of the film watching, where if he's not given that, you know, that cushy pocket, that those good throwing lanes uh, to get the ball out, maybe he just isn't going to be do it. He isn't going to be able to do it. And I just think the quarterback position is too deep to to take a gamble on that when there's so many other viable guys available. He's my quarterback 23 right now, and I, I don't feel great about that because we have seen him perform better than that in the past, but I, I'm not sold. I'm, I'm just not ready. Um, let, let's talk about some guys who have small sample sizes. And hmm. I, I don't... I have a feeling I know what your answer is going to be based upon uh, the the episode you just did with Cousin Josh about your quarterback <laughs> rankings, but who do you think is most likely to drastically disappoint fantasy owners this year? Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, Jimmy Garoppolo, or Jared Goff? Well, I'm not the best guy to ask about the market. I, tr- I try real hard not to pay attention to how people are valuing them, so I couldn't tell you what their respective ADPs are. I have to assume Goff is lower than the other guys, yes? Yes, uh, I think Watson and, and Wentz are kind of top five, top six, top seven guys. Garoppolo's mm-hmm. in that seven to ten or seven to twelve range, and Goff mm-hmm. is kind of around Garoppolo, but maybe like a spot or two lower for the most part. So, you know, therefore, it would be, you know, I think Goff will finish lower, but is it as disappointing as if Deshaun Watson finishes right. higher than Goff, but still lower? Um, in other words, the market isn't quite valuing Goff as a, as, you know, as a borderline fantasy starter. Like in that group, he's the one I like least uh, because I, he grew a lot from year to one, year two, no question about it. But what I saw in year two still was uh, another one who kind of had to be on schedule, another one who uh, wanted to go short, who had a real problem with deep, deep ball accuracy, deep sideline accuracy. So. I guess Goff is my easy wimpy answer, um, but I think the one that you want me to say is Deshaun Watson, and I'll go, I'll, I'll go there. Um, I don't have Deshaun Watson as a top twelve quarterback for this year, and like I just watched him, his film's a little easier to watch because he played in seven games. I'm underrating his running ability. He is a special runner in a way that probably even in that show that you listened to from last week, I wasn't acknowledging. He's pretty darn good. Uh, he's in the A range in terms of what he could give, give you as a runner. As a thrower, no question, he's got a lot of arm strength. I'm not sure he sees it at all, and I know there are moments where his accuracy is horrible, and, and people are forgetting the holes that he dug for himself in games last year. Um this is going to come down, you know, this is unfortunate because I thought Deshaun Watson should have been the number one overall pick in the NFL draft last year and and banged the drum for him all offseason and banged the drum for him that it was stupid that he wasn't starting week one. And 
was really on board and felt smart, and now I'm lower on him than the market. It's a bummer because I like to be I like to like guys that I like. But uh, there's there's bad stuff on film. There's really fun, good stuff too. And maybe he's going to weed out all the bad stuff. It was the first seven games of his career, in which case taking him in the top five is going to look smart. But there's so much downside, and I don't know why I would invest what I'm going to have to invest, even in a redraft league, a third or a third round pick or something. If I can just get Matthew Stafford in the seventh, like it just seems crazy to me. I'll just take Stafford. And if Watson winds up in his best case, he's getting five or six more fantasy points a week than Stafford. And I'm okay with that because I got a really good running back in round three. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. Uh, I think that Watson is going to be overdrafted and and I won't own him anywhere. But with that said, I think there are some things that he has going for him over a guy like Goff and that he does have that rushing ability. Uh, that, That is something that, you mentioned it with the potential for Lamar Jackson earlier. Deshaun Watson has that same sort of upside where even if he's just a a mediocre average level passer, if he can grow into that player, what he can do with his legs, especially for fantasy can really elevate him to be a top 10 guy without too much extra help. I don't think, but he has Deandre Hopkins too. So he has the help as well. I I, I think that he's probably going to be worth, you know, top 10 consideration at the quarterback position, but I'm with you. I don't think I'm ready to take him in the second round of drafts. For, for me, it is Goff. I, I'm already on record as being a Jared Goff hater. I don't think last season was nearly as good for him as most people think it was. He failed to throw for more than 235 yards in seven different games. He had a 5.9% touchdown rate and league average there is about 4.5% over the past three years. So you could forecast some regression there. I don't think, I'm not definitely not ready to say that you know, he is that good, right? That he's that much better than the average passer in terms of touchdown rate. And the other thing, and take this with a grain of salt, we've, we've already talked about how it's hard to know which teams are going to be good, but the Rams are going to be playing a first place schedule this year instead of a third place schedule. Now, I don't necessarily know if, if that means that the matchups we think are going to be bad or definitely going to be the bad ones, but I, I think that counts for something. And uh, just in general, his performance against good teams last year was was pretty bad. I think the only playoff teams he beat were Tennessee, who I don't think were very good. And I, I can't remember who else it was, but it was a game where they scored two special teams touchdowns. So it's not like he performed well in tough matchups either. I, I'm not sold on Goff whatsoever. Um, anything you want to add on him before we move on? I think he's a sort of a good system quarterback who's got the potential to be better. I think what we saw last year was pretty good, especially compared to year one, which was a disaster. Yeah, definitely. Um, so aside from Matt Ryan getting paid a boatload of money, does the situation for any other incumbent quarterback stand out to you as significantly improved post-draft? I know you're not big on situation, but are there any guys that you're a little more excited about now that the draft is wrapped up and you've seen who their team has taken? No, because there weren't any receivers that you go, well, I mean, you know, the past few years should have convinced us that first round receivers shouldn't have ex- shouldn't excite us regardless for for situation, because it's been a while since Odell Beckham. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not typically how it goes. Uh, no, I don't think the draft changed my my ranks, really. I mean, my my watching film here has changed some ranks, my initial like gut reaction ranks. And then now I've been watching film for a few weeks. I'm like, oh, OK, I need to change that rank. But uh, not so much with the draft. Yeah, fair enough. I, I mean, for me, I, I'm actually with you in that. I don't think it's super wide receiver related, uh, but I think you could maybe make a case for Andrew Luck. But that's one of those like, how could hell be any worse situations? Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they added two guards to the offensive line. 
And then they rolled the dice on a few different running backs and wide receivers. So maybe a couple of those guys hit and he gets back to full health and he's ready to go. Or, or you could maybe make the case for Garoppolo because San Francisco took the first tackle off the board. Then they picked a wide receiver. Both of those moves definitely feel, felt geared towards winning now while, you know, Garoppolo is, is kind of still in his prime, quote unquote. You know, that's what most of these teams seem to be trying to do is win with, with young QBs. Um, Trubisky maybe, but I think that's more of like a sum of the offseason moves, not just the draft. That's, you know, getting a new coach and, uh, you know, bringing in some free agents and all that stuff. So I think, I think there's optimism for those guys, but yeah, it's not necessarily all draft related. Um, we recently released some average draft position for two QB leagues, and these are based upon mocks. And I, I can go off on a long tangent about how ADP is a trap and how mock drafts are not something that you should be relying on for your, your fantasy analysis necessarily. But with that said, I found some interesting pairings of guys who ended up with equal ADP or, or close enough ADP. And I wanted to kind of pit, pit them against each other for you, Chris, and see where you fall on them in terms of like which guy you'd rather draft at that cost. And uh, the first is, is kind of just a, a question about how early you're willing to draft tight end, I guess. It's, it's Rob Gronkowski versus Doug Baldwin. Uh, both of them are, are going off the board in uh, the late third round of, of a 12-team league. But um, what do you think about those two? Is there one that you would prefer? Are you an early tight end guy? I'm not. I'm also not really going to have great answers for you on too many of these. I'll, I'll shoot from the hip, but I, I haven't done any uh, mixed ranks at all, zero. So I have I have, don't have thoughts. Um, m- you know, if we're talking late third, that's usually about where I have Gronk. I could go Gronk there. That's fine. Okay, and you, you do like him? I guess you said that you don't really have mixed ranks, but what do you think about Baldwin? Is he a player you like? Sure, yeah. I mean, I have him as a, I think, certainly as a wide receiver one in a standard league, like 10 or 11, something like that, maybe a little higher than that in PPR. Um, I think what I like about him is that it's just a weird offense that fits him and Russell Wilson perfectly. You don't think typically think of the slot receiver as the as the one who's going to make a bunch of plays down the field, but that's the offense they run. And I, he does it year after year. He's a somewhat limited skill set player, but what he does, he does really well. He's just he's awesome hands, some of the best hands in the league, and he's incredibly elusive with the ball in his hands. Um, he, he doesn't catch the ball down the field very far down the field, but just makes a bunch of plays um, and three quarters out of the slot and is just it's not not typically the way it works but you know i i do like him yeah i don't typically pay up for tight ends so if i've narrowed my draft decision in the third round down to gronkowski or baldwin i'm probably going to take baldwin every time uh, i'd like to i mean see... i'm shocked i'm shocked that people are saying gronkowski would last that long there's no way we're going to get to we're going to get to the summer and people are going to get excited and he's going to be going early second round yep and again that inherent every problem year. with adp and inherent problem with the small sample size of mock drafts so th- this is yeah, and pe- that's the thing is this early in the year you get you get degenerates drafting in these mocks. You get these <laughs> these guys who who play in deep dynasty and and they don't really care about drafting guys they've heard of anymore. It's all about rookies. It's all about the shiny new toys like Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson. I I, I kind of hate it, uh, but you know we have to gather the data starting at some point. And uh, I don't know this. I mean maybe someone's drafting this time of year. I have no idea. I hope I hope not. But you know if if you are then. Uh, that's one thing. And that's kind of why it's more for me about just kind of talking about these players relative mm-hmm. to one another. And I, I, I'm more of a Baldwin fan than I am a Gronkowski fan. Uh, even if this was, you know, a question about the end of the second round, I think I would still prefer Baldwin. 
mostly based upon the positions that they play. But I, I do really like Doug Baldwin. I think that, like you said, he's really well suited for Russell Wilson's game, for that offense. And they don't have a whole lot else, so you know the volume's going to be there. Their defense isn't as good as it used to be, although they, they tried to shore that up in the draft, I guess. I, I, I We don't know if it's going to work out, though. Uh, so I, I think this could be another year where Russell Wilson has to throw it a ton, and Doug Baldwin is going to be the primary beneficiary of that. So he, he's the guy for me. Um, next up, Travis Kelsey and Jarek McKinnon both going around the same time. For, for me, the same argument about tight end applies, but this is admittedly much sketchier for me. I, I might take Kelsey over McKinnon just because I don't necessarily know if I trust him to be the feature back that everybody wants him to be and not just a, you know, a change of pace receiver option. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I could talk about McKinnon. I have no idea. I don't know who I'd take earlier. It's it's too early in the offseason for me to lay in on that. But I could talk about McKinnon. I think people are totally fooling themselves uh, that he's a feature back. I mean, when did you when, – when, you know, I remember the first game after Dalvin Cook got hurt last year. McKinnon was really good, and Latavius Murray didn't do anything. And everybody pounded on my Twitter feed saying, see, see, he's a feature back. See, see. <laughs> And all I have to say is that the Vikings did not agree with you because they did not not only did they not not pay him. I, that's fine. I understand not paying him, but they didn't play him in a season where they had a really good team and a good chance to make the Super Bowl. Uh, he's he's just not a I don't think he's even Devontae Freeman. I just don't think he's that play. he could be very valuable. He's my number 20 running back in a standard league. He's he's higher than that in PPR. He's startable. I'm just saying that people are going to call him the number 11 or number 12 running back because, oh my goodness, don't you know it's a Kyle Shanahan offense and, and I've seen this work. Okay. You know, I, I, that is not, that would not be a shocking DeMarco Murray landing place for me. Um, I think they don't have the big back that they need. Maybe it's Joe Williams, who's not big, but bigger than the two little dudes. Uh, I, I, Jared McKinnon's like 5'9", 200 pounds. It, he's, it doesn't work out that they're Devontae Freeman all that awful. I, he's going to be useful. He's going to catch a lot of passes, but I don't think he's – I think he's miscast as a lead back. All right, I got one more cross-position one for you. And again, feel sure. free to, to dismiss this in terms of you know comparing the players, <laughs> but if you just want to talk about the guys, that's fine. Sure. Uh, Darius Geis and Juju Smith-Schuster are going around the same time in drafts. Mm. What do you think about those guys? Uh, so, you know, Geis has my inherent limitations on analyzing Geis is that I've watched his college film, but often I don't know what I'm seeing. And mm -hmm. his, his college film was way better two years ago. He was hurt this past year. Uh, he, he was awesome two years ago. Awesome. If he's that guy in the pros, he's going to be a pretty good pro. I thought he was okay this past season. Uh, and, and Juju is way better than I thought. I mean, if we'd had been having this conversation about Juju, at this th this time last year, I would have been like USC receiver. They all always bust. He's gonna be the youngest <laughs> player in the league. I got all the narratives for you. And you know what? Why wouldn't Martavis Bryant work out? Yada yada yada. And the way his season went was so interesting. I don't think the Steelers thought he was ready. They used him as a, as a like a gadget guy, a slot guy, a red zone sort of delay type weapon. Got him some early touchdowns on trick plays and things like that. And when Martavis Bryant had his attitude problems, they started to use him outside more, and he just handled it, and he handled it, and he handled it. He could he handled everything they threw at him. Uh, like, not a tall kid, but a really strong, big-bodied kid. I am a total believer. He's inside my top 20 wide receivers. Running backs are a little more scarce, though. Like, talk about second tiers or mid tiers that are long and flat like my goodness wide receiver has it even more than quarterback so i can't say for sure who i who i 
go high. I think Geis probably has a higher upside, uh, but I, but you know, Juju feels like a pretty safe bet to me. Yeah, I, I'm on Smith-Schuster as well. I, I just don't really trust Washington to make Geis that featured guy necessarily right away. Chris Thompson's still there. I, I don't know how good their defense is going to be, so they may be playing catch-up with, with more plays for the pass catcher out of the backfield instead of Geis. Uh, I I just don't know if that offensive approach for Washington is, is going to drastically change so that they're running the ball a ton. I, I just don't know if that's the team they are. Maybe with Alex Smith it is, but we don't know. And but, but really, this is more just about me really liking Juju Smith-Schuster. He was a guy I did believe in um, based upon, you know, stats and, and some of the stuff I, you know, read and, and heard about him going into the draft last year. Uh, I, I drafted him in the the one dynasty league I'm in uh, in the first round. I, I think that he's a pretty good player, and he fits what Pittsburgh wants to do really well. You kind of mentioned how they kind of gained him some confidence with those trick plays. They, they kind of used him because they didn't have a tight end. Uh, you know, Vance McDonald they traded for, but he wasn't really ready to to come in and set the world on fire. So Smith-Schuster kind of got a lot of those red zone looks. And, yeah, maybe when he maybe, maybe there's some narrative-based analysis there that, you know, that built up his confidence so that when they did move him outside, he was ready. Like, or he was, or he knew he could do it. No. <laughs> or, alternately, he's just good at football. And sure. And when they gave him more to do, he could do those things. Let's stick with that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's much better. I, I again, like I like I said, I liked him coming out of school. I, I like the, the production that he put up there. And I, I don't know. I think that there's... It's, I, I just like the player. Like, like you said, it's it's about how, how good I think he is. You can see it on the field. The fact that he pushed Martavis Bryant out so easily probably should speak to you know how good he really is and what the Steelers thought of him should translate to what fantasy owners think of him. Is is that fair, you think? It's fair. I mean, I, you know, I just I don't grasp for reasons. I don't grasp. I don't worry about who pushed who out. Who knows? I mean, Martavis Bryant has long attitude problems i mean martavis bryant was you know a big problem on that team last year from everything we're told you know with him being suspended uh so like i think in the end we just go i like what i saw from him as a player i think he's really talented i'm not going to worry about the rest of it all right uh last one these guys are both wide receivers so this should be a little bit more straightforward emmanuel sanders or pierre garçon i yeah i mean i have sanders is a sort of a perennial favorite and he had the high ankle sprain last year. Um, I'm going to have Garcon higher. I have, uh, Garcon is, uh, I'm quickly s- searching through my ranks, 30. Oh, Sanders is 29. How about that? <laughs> I guess I like Sanders one spot better. <laughs> I, for- I forgot my own ranks. I mean, it, it, so I think where this, so comes- ADP got it right for once where, where I, where I, probably err on the side of Sanders is a lower floor to me than Garcon, but he clearly has a higher ceiling. He's a way more talented human. And last year is just no indication. He was, he had the high ankle sprain and was ruined for basically the whole year. Garcon winds up getting ruined himself after half the season. Um, I just, the only exceptional thing about Pierre Garcon as a player is he's got awesome hands. You know who else has amazing hands? Manny Sanders. I think they're two of the most sure-handed receivers in the league, but in the open field, Sanders is insane. And Pierre Garçon is not insane. Um, so I guess I'm saying, like, in a PPR, I probably would have Garçon higher. They're real close. But in, in a standard, I'll take the possibility that Sanders goes back to his top 25 ways, even with Case Keenum as a quarterback. Uh, whereas, you know, I think Garçon probably can only be top 25. Like, I don't think Garçon is destined for a 
12 touchdown season and, you know, tickling the top 10 and Emmanuel Sanders, you know, can do that. Yeah, I, when I dug into these two, I was actually surprised to find out that they're the same age. For some reason, I assumed that Garcon was older, um, but but I agree that Sanders is slightly preferable. At least, I mean, I just think he has the easier route to volume um, than Garcon does. Like Garcon should Garcon be the number- has the easier route to volume. I you think. think so? I mean, I, we. I just don't guess. Let's not even guess volume. We shouldn't even be guessing volume. You have to guess at volume it's... to some extent, don't you? Like, I mean, no, no. Philosophically, I mean. Not to the extent that you want to in this conversation. Every t- I wince a little bit every time you say, well, it's a situation where he's going to wind up with a lot of volume. You don't know. You don't know what Marquise Goodwin's going to be. You don't know. Like, they, the Niners should sign Des Bryant. I think they should sign him tomorrow. Like, w- like I, I, I think it's a the, – the my classic example is a 49er example. Is That's the exact argument being the year Torrey Smith signed with from Baltimore to San Francisco. People said, why isn't he a top 24 receiver on your ranks? Who, do they, who else are they going to throw to? Right. And in the end, they just didn't throw They threw at other people. They like I, I I think easy path to volume is a crutch argument because we don't know at this point. OK, I mean, that's fair. Enough. I, I just I don't see as much. And I, I mean, you're, you're going to disagree with this as well. I just don't see as much competition in that receiving core. For, with Sanders, like I, I feel like the receivers for well, and, no, well, Demarius be, Thomas, I mean, yeah, not, but I mean that feels like an offense where it's just those two guys for the most part. I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Whereas Garcon, they they have George Kittle there, they have um, Marquise Goodwin, they they drafted a wide receiver, they have um, uh, who's that Trent, other slot guy they have? Is it Trent Taylor? Is that right? Like mm-hmm. I, I I just. I expect them to spread the ball around a little bit more. And again, I'm forecasting. I don't know that this is going to happen, but if, if you That's ask me saying. to, to try the problem, to... this is a philosophical thing with me is just now you're writing their playbook. Fair. Yeah. And no, just, it's assumption of rational and, coaching is not fair. I, 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 I agree. I, I, well, I think that was unfair, an unfair thing to say though. Like who's to say what the rational coaching is. You don't know. I don't know. Like we're, we're just guessing. They actually have to write a playbook. They actually have to look at what they have and decide. And so do we. We're looking and but like the idea that we understand what ra- rationality is and they don't is probably backwards. They probably have a better sense of what's rational. They they have a better sense. We think we know what these guys can handle. Um, the reason I'm going to go Sanders over Garcon, even though when we asked me, I was so close that I don't remember who, what order I had, is I'm just going to err on the side of the kid who I think is more talent. Um, and 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 let's just also say, Greg. I'm a total hypocrite because there are times where I go, I guess I got to rank them. Who else are they going to throw to? I just try not to have it be at wide receiver 30. I try to have it be at wide receiver 60, you know, or 50 or something because we're just wrong. We're wrong so often about how these, when it's not a mega, mega talent, a mega superstar, a mega highly paid player, we're just wrong. We're wrong so often that we're much, much better off not guessing in the first place. and Or at least we guess, but not making it the foundation of our reasons to have opinions. Okay. Yeah, I mean, good stuff. I, I Yeah, I guess for me... You don't have to agree. That's that's my philosophy. No, I, and I, and I, but I, I do agree with you in the sense that, like, we are kind of splitting hairs. Like, you had them one spot apart in your rankings. ADP right. had them at the same ADP. Like, they're obviously very close in, in our perceptions as fantasy owners. I And... But but in terms of having to pick one, like if, if I'm on the clock in my draft and I have to pick a wide receiver and I think that Manny Sanders and Pierre Garcon are the two best options, 
I think that you do have to try to forecast the volume to some extent. Now, whether or not you're going to be right, I agree. We can't know that. You're, you're never going to be right all the time, just like in well, poker. That's why I don't do it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> not a matter of all the time. I mean, I'm not telling you that I'm right and you're wrong. You are sort of telling me that you're right and I'm wrong. And I, I fight back and just I, – I push back a little bit just by saying my experience – is that when you make a, a when you make a decision based on your perception of what volume is going to be versus what the, your perception of what the talent is i f- i feel for, at least for me that better decisions come from talent from the assessment of talent okay yeah i mean i that's fair and i if i i'm sorry if i came off as is <laughs> no, 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 saying no, that I, you were wrong you know i'm i'm actually i'm glad we disagree on on something here because that's i guess <laughs> uh, that's good radio or podcasting or whatever and it doesn't <laughs> honestly it doesn't happen that often for me uh maybe i'm too agreeable or maybe i'm uh I, yeah it's 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 good stuff i th- thanks chris <laughs> <laughs> sure man <laughs> well Hey, uh, that, that's all I got. Anything else you wanna you wanna talk about before we go? Uh, we can get to, to plugs and all that stuff um, if you want, or, or anything else you wanna talk about with regards to two QB strategy or uh, what's going on with you know the state of the NFL right now. Do you want to talk about the year you fight back? I mean, we've we've kind of been having that <laughs> argument, I suppose. It is. It's the year we fight back. That's how I'm. That's the branding hashtag branding on the on my podcast this year is the year we fight back. Basically, trying to push against not so much this. This is nuanced. Like, I get where it comes from to say, to, see, for, to, for me, in this particular example, I actually think Garcon is the volume argument over Sanders because Demarius Thomas is there. But that, that just shows you that perceptions are different even when it comes to something as guessing on volume. Um, but, but like, you know, presumption of volume doesn't feel like the dumbest analysis out there. You know, stuff like, is he, is he unhappy with his contract? Did his wife look cross-eyed at someone else you know like is ty hilton super excited about his new coaches you know that's the stuff we i really really want to push back on this year yeah good stuff well thanks for coming on chris i really appreciate the time um listeners be sure to follow him at harris football on twitter uh pre-order the 2018 player almanac profile you can go to harrisfootball.com to to find a link for that um subscribe to the harris football podcast it's all harris football all the time is there anything else you want to plug chris Well, the podcast, we're recording this like mid-May, and my podcast is off until right after July 4th. So definitely people can go back and listen. I just did a big uh, couple of episodes talking about rankings. I finally came up with, you know, redraft ranks, positional ranks. And uh, yeah, the Almanac is a labor of love, but it is labor. I am in the middle of doing it right now. It'll, it comes out August 1st. It is uh, exhaustive, one might say, a film grades on everybody all the skill position players along with a lot of snarky player profiles i was the one who wrote uh profiles for espn for eight years or something and uh, when i left i started doing it on my own and people buy it and they seem to like it and uh you can find out you can see samples at harrisfootball.com and you can pre-order because it will be uh august 1st before you know it i have i'll have to have this this crazy thing done Yep, uh, the 2QB's draft guide is is in a similar uh, kind of incubation stage. It, it'll be out probably sometime in July, but, but we're starting to kind of ramp up what we put into that right now, and that's something you can look forward to, uh, listeners. And if you want to contact the show, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at 2QB's uh, or by email, 2QB's at gmail.com. In both cases, you got to spell it out, T-W-O-Q-B-S. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe to the show if you could. That really helps us out. Um, Otherwise, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Adios. Adios.